this, uh, this first one was about, that he talked to me about was to talk about um, make up your mind. And then after that, um, it's called faith reboot, to reboot your faith. And then after that, the healing anointing, to get into dealing with the healing anointing. And, uh, and then there was another one in there, I can't remember what it was, but, um, oh, grace and, to preach on grace and truth again uh, as we move through the Easter season. And then he told me that in the summer, uh, in June, to do a series on what we believe as a church. And um, that, uh, that, that it's important for us to understand the tenets of what our ministry believes as a church. I mean, we, under, we talk a lot about vision, we don't necessarily talk a lot about what are the doctrinal beliefs of our ministry here. And, um, uh, you know, we weave it into messages from time to time, um, but uh, that, it, that I was supposed to ex- actually take six weeks to do that. So anyways, got a lot going on, and of course we're intermingling different speakers in there. Jeff's going to be preaching uh, here soon, and then uh, Dakota's going to be preaching. Mark just got done doing a great job, three weeks of just awesome messages, and uh, they were life-challenging. I really appreciate that. So uh, I'm excited about this year. Amen. It's a year of acceleration. A year of acceleration. So I want to talk to you tonight and start into on this message about dealing with our thought life, to make up our minds. And uh, so often in our lives, we are faced with choices of directions that we can go, uh, the pathway of how we think and how we deal with things. And uh, I really want to help you tonight getting into this. Carrie mentioned a little bit earlier, I talked about uh, renewing the mind. Uh, there are some things tonight that I will say that sound like, like psychology. I am not an expert in psychology. I am an expert in theology. That's my doctrinal, my doctorate is in theology. It is not in psychology. But Everything, all of the sciences take their understanding from the basics of it from theology. They all do. I mean, there's just no way that they, they, they do. Even our legal system, it's getting kind of weird now, but our legal system came from Blackstone's law books, and that was all based off of Bible, Bible the scriptures. So everything, all of the systems that are out there had a basis in biblical truth in the beginning. Now, they've gotten away from that, and psychology did too. And uh, so I want to just help to help us tonight to understand about making up our mind, getting ourselves on the right track, getting ourselves thinking right. Um, so often in our lives, like John Maxwell says, that we have uphill hopes and downhill habits. And, uh, you know, that's tough for us. We want to go up, but it seems like our habits tend to pull us down. You know, we're through January. Most of you probably started the year with your, I won't, I'm going to do this list. You know, I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to, you know, go to church more. On and on, we, I'm going to read my Bible. And, you know, we have these uphill hopes, but sometimes our habits, you know, they're, they're taking us down. They're pulling us down. And so I want to get into that a little bit tonight, why that happens in our life, why we're like that. Why we why we operate that well that way? Let me say it. Let me let me say it like this. So you, this is sort of an initial into this uh, to help you. If you're born again, your spirit is not your problem because you're born again. You have the Holy Spirit on the inside of you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. Say that to your neighbor. You're the temple. 
And uh, so you're the temple of the Spirit. He dwells on the inside of you. So that is not your problem. Your spirit is not your problem. Your spiritual nature is not your problem. Now get this. Your body is not your problem either. Your body is not, you know, we tend to want to blame our bodies for our problems, but your body is not your problem. Your problem that you deal with is your soul is your soul. And that is the basic struggle that every human deals with in their life, Christian or non-Christian, is in their soul. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Everybody say that with me, mind, will, and emotions. Now, Paul talked about this in the book of Thessalonians in 5.23 when he said that you'd be sanctified, holy, spirit, soul, and body. So, Your nature, the spirit in you, has been born again because you've received Christ into your life. If you haven't, we're going to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. All right? Uh, Your body is just following the flow of what's coming out of your soul. Just following the flow of what's coming out of your soul. Your soul, your mind, your understanding, your will, and your emotions uh, are affecting how you conduct yourself in life and how you conduct yourself spiritually. So even though you're born again, you're still going to find yourself in a place in your life where you're going to struggle through different things. It's like the verse, um, Doc Barkley and I talked about this on uh, TV and on his program, that the Bible says that we are to purge ourselves from, as Christians now from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, okay? So here's two things that we have to, we have to recognize out of that. There is a righteousness that comes from Christ. There is a holiness that comes from me. There is a righteousness that comes from Christ. I don't have anything to do with my righteousness. I can't make myself righteous. If you're born again, you're righteous in the sight of God. You're in a right relationship with God if you're born again. But that doesn't mean you're holy. You say, well, the holiness is up to God. No, it's not. Because he told you to purge yourself from all flesh, from all the filthiness of flesh and spirit. I'll let that sink in. So see, holiness is your responsibility. God said, watch how he said it, be holy, because I'm holy. So I set the example, but you're the one that's got to do it. I'm not doing it for you. And you can get on your knees and pray till you're dead for God to make you holy, and you are not going to be any more holy. But what we do is, is in the church, we've blurred righteousness and holiness together. So we have people that think because they sin, now they're not, God doesn't accept them anymore, and that's not right either. God accepts you because of Jesus Christ, because he is the righteous lamb of God that paid for the sins of the whole world. Your holiness is on you. Now, the Holy Spirit is going to help you with that, I'm not saying, but it's still you, because look, you know what you're unholy about in your life. Unpure thoughts, all the things that you deal. I mean, Jesus didn't say when he said that if a man thinks in his heart to commit adultery, he didn't say that you ask God to take the thought away. God doesn't take the thought away. Guess who has to take the thought away? You got to take the thought away. Because you are in control of your soul. The Bible says in James, receive, 
Who does the receiving? Receive the engrafted word that is able to save your soul. Okay? So the only way your soul is ever going to get saved, straightened out, is by receiving the engrafted word. You can have tremendous spiritual experiences and experience a freedom in God, but you will never have a lasting experience of freedom unless it is the word that's engrafted. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word. Faith creates the actions of your life. And so what you and I have to recognize is is that our soul, that's something that we have to deal with. I mean, I realize it would be a, a lot easier for us just to say, well, God, just fix my soul, okay? Well, one, God didn't make your soul the way that it is, okay? And God teaches us ways that we can change the way that we think or the way that we perceive things or how we deal with things in our life. Dr. Carolyn Leaf, who's just like just incredible, she's a neuro, uh, she's a neurosurgeon. She's amazing, an amazing lady. She's an expert on the mind. Okay, and uh, if you've ever read any of her books or you had the opportunity to listen to her, I, I encourage you to do that. But she says in one of her books that she's uh, that seventy five to ninety five percent of illnesses that plague us today are a direct result of our thought life our direct result of our thought. You say, well, that can't be true. Well, your thought life controls how you eat. And your thought life controls how you exercise. Look at your neighbor and say, I know he's talking to you right now. So absolutely, it does influence how you deal with things. And if you deal with anxiety, you're creating all kinds of complicated, toxic things that are happening to your body. Because your body wasn't created to have anxiety. It was not. So you let anxiety, stuff that's keeping you up at night and you're worrying about it, it's not just keeping you awake. It's also destroying parts of your body because you're allowing that anxiety to continue to dwell and to work. Because anxiety is fear-motivated. And so, are you all here tonight? You're all looking at me funny. But, I mean, it, look, I'm just, I want to help you tonight to be able to deal with it. Now you say, well, Pastor, well, what, what, what do you know about this? Look, you, you know... You don't know all of my story. I tell you some of my story, but I didn't. I mean, I, if I got into the whole depths, just like many of you, if we went into the whole depths of things that were wrong with you before Jesus, I mean, I was screwed up. I was majorly screwed up. I mean, I was molested. I was, I mean, sexually abused. I was, I had a horrible relationship with my dad. I, you know, on and on and on. I was insecure. I masked it with uh, overconfidence. Um, you know, thank God I found sports along the way. I believe God helped me do that to kind of bring me out of my shell. But, I mean, my life was heading into the toilet, flat out heading into the toilet. By my senior year in high school, I was drinking myself to death. But my reason for doing that wasn't just for acceptance. It was because of the pain. Because see, what we do, eventually, if we don't know how to deal with the pain we have in our life, we start self-medicating. And self-medication can show up in a lot of ways, like it can show up in overeating, or bad eating, or drinking, or drugs, or promiscuity, trying to find love in all the wrong places. I mean, it can show up in a lot of different ways. Does everybody understand that? So look, in my life, I had like this really screwed up past. All right, bad. I mean, just 
Thank God I had people praying for me that loved me, but I was heading down the wrong pathway. But the biggest thing is, is that I recognized when I came to Christ was is that all these things that I had before I received Jesus still were around when I came to Christ. And those insecurities did not go away, and those feelings of, of inadequacy did not go away, and the hurt and the pain in my life did not go away just because I received Jesus. My sins were washed away. Thank God. I was born again. But look, I was still had a lot of things in my life that triggered bad thoughts for me. Now, Carolyn Leaf talks about in her book that she, calls, she talks about them being neural pathways, that you develop neural pathways in your life. Uh, psychologists will call them triggers. And so what happens with a trigger is, is that something happens in your life and it causes you to react a certain way, okay? And it, and it may not even be what's really happening, but you're reacting that way. Like somebody, you're talking to somebody and they walk away from you and you think they ignored you and didn't pay attention. Maybe they didn't even hear you, but then, you, then you're reacting to that. Always those triggers are tied into some kind of an emotional behavior that you've that you have in your life, and emotion's the hardest thing to change, and so you're going to start reacting to what just happened, okay? And when you react to something, here's what, and everybody does this, you begin to tell yourself a story. This is what just happened. This is what they just did to me. And you begin to create this because that's the way you were created. You begin to create a story. You begin to create a narrative about and a, a situation that happened in your life. And it could be negative, it could be positive, it could be really good and help you, it could be really negative and tear you down and make you feel worthless and like a piece of junk and that nobody loves you, nobody cares about you, and you start down a slippery slope. People that deal with anxiety, I'm, I'm not asking if anybody here has had to, but I've had to work with people that, that have, have anxiety. I mean, you know, have to take medication for anxiety. And, and the reason that they have to take medication for anxiety is because they cannot handle the triggers that happen in their life. They don't know how to change the narrative. So what I have to do is work with them to change the narrative, to change, the, you know, to change it, to, to, to walk them through it, get them to really look at it, from, and, and hopefully, hopefully they'll receive it from a biblical level to help them so that they will actually have God's narrative instead of some crazy narrative that you don't even know if it's true or not. The average person has over 30,000 thoughts a day. 30,000 thoughts. Today, you will have thought 30,000 thoughts. Not all of those thoughts, by your own admission, I'm sure, are good thoughts. Right? Some of them were wrong thoughts, things that you shouldn't have been thinking about. And hopefully, you knew how to deal with those thoughts when they come, because you're going to have them. I mean, look, we're fearfully and wonderfully made. God has made us, I mean, we are, we are so incredibly, not just in biology, but just in the mental faculty of the way God made us, absolutely, I mean, just amazing. And you move it to the next level where the spirit is, and that is even, that even far exceeds anything biologically or mentally that we understand. Research shows that fear all on its own, fear all on its own, triggers more than 1,400 known physical and chemical responses and activates more than 30 different hormones. Fear does. 
causes these kinds. So when, when we think it, let me say this, it is not acceptable for you to be in fear. It is not, you should not allow that to be acceptable in your life, to be afraid. Now, a lot of the stuff that we're afraid of isn't even going to happen, right? It's just stuff we're thinking could happen. You know, we're, we're, we're creating anxiety within ourselves. And, and we have a way out of all that. God's given us an incredible way out. He said, be anxious for nothing, and all things with prayer and supplication. Make your requests made known to God. And so fear is, can be removed, can be erased from our lives as we go before God, and we allow the peace of God, which surpasses all under understanding or all comprehension to guard our heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So as we look at the medical research on this, it's absolutely amazing of what can happen in our lives. Um, We have to change our thinking if we're going to detox our lives. We really do. We have to change our thinking. You know, I had to change my... God had to change the narrative in my life about my being molested. He had to. Because because I couldn't, my narrative was, I'm ashamed, I'm stupid, how did I let myself get into that, I'm not worthy before God. God changed the narrative in my, whenever I would think those thoughts about it, you know, because that's not something I, I mean, you try not to think about it, but it did happen. And so I, it happened repeatedly with a, you know, so I, I mean, I have to deal with those thoughts. How does that change in a person's life? God has to change the narrative. He has to change the story. And so God, what he did for me was is that, and I mean, I knew verses. I was reading my Bible a lot. Sharon will tell you, I've always been an avid. I mean, I devour Scripture. I'm not, I mean, I'm at my desk. I'm opening my Bible. I'm studying. I've got a strong concordance. You know, now everything's on a computer, so it's a whole, even that much easier. I mean, I'm flipping through. When I was in Roma, Texas, all we had was a strong Gordon and Moffat translation and a, and my King Jan- or my New American Standard Bible, but that was enough, man, because I was learning so much through that. But I knew what God said that He forgives us. You know, though our sins are red as crimson, they'll be made white as wool. But it wasn't until I had an experience with God that God brought me to a place to realize that He totally accepted me, and none of that had anything to do with my relationship with Him. At that moment, I was totally delivered from it. Okay, so the narrative completely changed. I don't think the narrative would have changed had I not been putting, renewing my mind in the Word. And if you've ever dealt with molestation, you know. That's a, it's embarrassing. It's humiliating for your whole life. I mean, it, until you're free from it. Until you're free from it. But, you know, look, that's just one thing. There's other stuff. If you were brought up in poverty, you understand. Poverty, look, just because you get money doesn't mean you still don't have a poverty mentality. There are lots of people that still, you, you know, you look at some of our forefathers that grew up during Depression, right? My grandmother, she grew up, she, she raised her family during the Depression. I mean, and it was hard. I mean, they, when you, you couldn't just go to the store and buy stuff. They didn't have stuff. They just didn't have it. So people would stand in line just for bread, and people would, so my grandmother, because this influence, and my aunt was the same way who passed away last year. Because of the influence and because of that environment, they always lived in fear that there would never be enough stuff. So you meet someone who grew up, who lived during Depression times, they'll have 10 bottles of Clorox in their cupboard. 
My grandmother, I was like, why do you have all this detergent down here? Well, you just never know. That's what they'll say. Well, you don't know. You know, you just don't know. I mean, they may, there may be a run on detergent, right? I mean, they just have their freezers full, refrigerators full, but it's not because they're prospering. It's because they're afraid, right? But see, something that happened, what was it, in the 30s when the Depression? So, huh? 29, something that happened in 1929 is influencing their lives and causing the way that they conduct themselves in 2016. When they shop, they don't shop to get what they need. They shop so they won't ever need anything. You understand what I'm saying? Now, I'm using it as an illustration, but but realize, look, that's another scenario that you and I, we have stuff in our life. Think of the things that you do that are rooted in fear. Well, I can't work out, Pastor. If I start working out, it would be painful. Well, it's not always painful, but there is pain, right? I can't go to the doctor. I mean, I have to deal with white coat syndrome when I go to the doctor. I, I, my blood pressure takes off every time. And I'm like, what is wrong with you, man? You know they're not going to, it's going to be okay. You're a healthy man. I had one lady, the one lady said, man, if you don't calm down, we're not going to be able to do anything here today. And I'm thinking, I'm, a, I'm, I'm almost a 60-year-old man. What am I afraid of? Well, I'm afraid of all the other times I went to the doctor and it didn't turn out so good, right? I'm that way about dentists. I've had enough bad dental experiences. How many of you have had bad dental experiences? I mean, I've had enough bad dental experiences that I, all i got to do is sit out in the waiting room and hear that drill running, and I'm like, ah, my knuckles are turning white, and I'm gripping the chair, and I'm trying to, where's the exit? you got to control your thoughts. You can't let things rampage through your mind. So I want to talk to you tonight about it. I just wanted to set that all up to help us know how to control our thoughts, make up our minds, uh, we won't get through all of this tonight, but uh, I want to at least start in on it. In the book of Ecclesiastes, it says this. This is out of the Message Bible. Wise thinking leads to right living. Stupid thinking leads to wrong living. How many of you understand that? Stupid thinking. Now, don't be thinking about the person next to you. I'm talking to you, okay? So you're like, yeah, you know, you're an example of that, right? So I, I know that that's true. But everything begins with a thought that leads to an action. So there's reasons we think the way that we do. There's reasons that we act the way that we do. We have to get to the bottom line of that. There are basically four essentials. I'm only, I, if I can get to two tonight, I'll do it. Um, but I want to give you uh, the three ways that we essentially develop our thoughts. This is out of the book of 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 8. Uh, if you have your Bible there, this is out of the NIV version. For that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul, by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. So if you're writing notes, you can write these two things down. We develop thoughts by what we see and what we hear. By what we see and what we hear. This is talking about Lot, that he saw the things going on in the city, and it caused him a lot of trouble. You and I, we develop our thought patterns through what we see and what we hear. Now, when I talk about see, I'm talking about how that you and I, we view things how we're viewing what just happened, all right? How we're, 
how we're looking at things in our life. So how we see stuff is our perception, right? How we, how we're, how our worldview, how we look at things. You know, there are people today that are absolutely petrified about what's going on over in Korea, North Korea. They're petrified. And there are people that are petrified about what's going on in the United States of America. And there are people that are petrified about what Russia's doing. And there are people that are petrified all over the place. People are worrying and because their percept, their worldview is, 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 is one that's based out of fear. But see, my worldview is a God view. And my Bible says that he makes all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And I'm called according to his purpose, and so are you, whether you recognize that or not. So no matter what happens in my life, I believe. And I love that song. You know, I believe I believe that God is with me, that God is for me, and that God is working in my behalf. And I may not understand everything that's going on around me, but my perception is God is not, he will never leave me, nor will he ever forsake me. So even if, now, not that it would ever happen, but even if they came in and they said, you can't preach no more, and I'm going to preach if they tell me I can't preach because I'm a preacher, I'm, that's my call. So I'm going to preach. And then they arrest me and they throw me in prison. And you're going to, you know, we all sit out and go, oh my gosh, you know, pastor, and they're talking about, they're going to, you know, he can't preach the gospel and now he's going to be stuck in prison. My view of all of that is I'm in the prison so that I can now preach to the prisoners. My view isn't that poor me, see, that's a thought pattern we develop in our, that's how we view, and there are a lot of people that view life that way, oh, poor me. I lost my job, poor me. Look, you didn't lose anything because your job doesn't make you, you make the job. So what I have to do is got to change my view, how I see things that are going on around me, and then how I hear things, how I'm taking in what I hear, and that's what Lot had to deal with, and he was tormented because of it. It tormented his mind because of what he saw and because of what he heard. So when we talk about that there are two ways we could call these gates in our life, there are two gates in our lives, our eye gate, that's how our mind works with pictures, how our perceptions, and then our ear gate, um, that how things get in. Those are the two ways that things get into our mind, okay? From the outside now I'm talking about. Unless we're allowing the Word to work in our life. Now, there is one other that works, and that's the enemy, and he does definitely try to put thoughts. Now, he doesn't know. The devil never knows what you think unless you let him know what you think. All right? So the devil can't read your mind. The devil doesn't know what you think. He has not had the ability to be able to know your thoughts. But he does know, now watch this, he does know what you say, and he does know what you do. So when you deal with a situation and you say, that just about scared me to death, what did you just signal to the devil? Let's create more things like that, and we'll take this person out. So the enemy doesn't know. He could put all kinds, well, I say he, but the enemy will try to put all kinds of thoughts into your head to change your perception. So there is that influence that we have to deal with. But Dr. Carolyn Leaf says this, if you, if you control your brain, 
your brain will not control you. You got to take control of what you're thinking. So I, I want you just to get this in the basis of this. These are the three primary ways that you, excluding what the Spirit tries to do, that thoughts get into our lives. Wrong thinking gets into our life. What we see, what we hear, and what the enemy is telling. All right? Now, how do we get rid of those thoughts? How do we change our thinking? We have to create new pathways. We have to create new triggers, new neural pathways to things. Okay, so in our lives, we have to, um, you know, and, and I, was, I think I've shared this a couple of times, but um, when, uh, what's the guy that wrote, I believe, believe, what's his name, the one song we're singing now? Um, miracles, yeah. Say, say again? Balala, okay. Yeah. So he wrote that, he and his wife wrote that song after the death of their baby. Okay? Now, we would think that that song was a song of celebration, right? Because it's so powerful. You know, you're the one that makes the blind to see. You're the one that, you know, does all these things. And I believe, okay, so... We would, on our part, be like, well, that song surely has got to be about this, this guy who's had a miracle in his life because he's wrote a song about miracles. And who writes songs about miracles except people that are experiencing miracles? But he didn't have a miracle. He, had the greatest, he and his wife had the greatest challenge to their faith that they had ever deal, dealt with. But their determination was that regardless of what we experience, we know God is a God of miracles. We don't understand everything that's happening around. We can't, it's just too vast for us to get total comprehension on what's always happening around us, why things happen the way that they do. But we do know this, God is who he said he is. And even if our circumstances don't align to what God says he is, That doesn't change who God says He is unless we change God to fit our circumstance. It's like the song, and this is a little older, but the song that it is well. And, you know, here's a guy whose two daughters are washed overboard. They drown, they never find them. And he writes this incredible song about, you know, when sorrow like sea billows roll. Well, he's, when he's writing this, he's looking at this mess that took his kids. Tore his family to shreds. But what does he do? He says, in the midst of it, it is well with my soul. Because God is who he says he is. And I don't get why this happened. Look, when, my, when Sharon and I, when, when our daughter crashed on her bike, we were just talking about this the other day, busted her jaw. I mean, I was a wreck. I mean, I was an absolute wreck. The scars in my life were a lot, because everything I believed about God got challenged all of a sudden. And I know it did for Sharon, too. We were mad. We were hurt. We were frustrated. But in the end, what ended up having to happen for us was we had to realize that God did not cause this to happen. God doesn't work that way. He didn't get mad at you and then poke your eye out. He's a loving father. And when our daughter went through all of that and I sat at the end of her bed, I had to work through 
And, I, and God said, well, if you'll let me talk to you, I'll show you some things that will help you through this. I'll show you how that, that, you know, that, and I wrote a whole book about this, when the dam breaks and your boat won't float, and that's how I felt. That's why we called it that. And uh, that, uh, that the whole book was about people that got into terrible crises, and things did not work out, but how, that they, how they responded to that, and not one of them said, kill me. It's over. I turned my back on you, God. I don't want anything to do with you. They may have thought it for a moment. You know, Moses, he was the greatest pastor of all time, but he did pray that God would kill his congregation. But he loved them, and so one time he had to stop, because God says, I'm going to kill him. And uh, he said, uh, please don't, God, because people will talk bad about you if you do. That's what he basically told them. Everybody's going to know you don't keep your covenant, God, if you wipe them out, right? So, what we have to do is, is that we have to change the narrative. So I don't know your stories and, you know, and way that what, what makes you afraid. And, you know, like you could have a narrative in your life that mom had cancer, grandma had cancer, our family has the cancer gene, but you got to change the narrative. You got to change the narrative. Because if you don't, fear will rule. So how do we put off... How, Here's the four essential things that we need to do, and I'm only going to get to one tonight. So we've got to put off the old thoughts. We've got to put them off. Ephesians 4.22, and this is out of the Amplified Bible, the classic edition. I guess they must have two different Amplified Bibles now is what I've heard. Um, so there's a classic edition and I guess a contemporary condition, edition. I'll take the classic. So, but I want you to hear this. Verse 22 of Ephesians 4. Strip yourselves of your former nature. Put off and discard your old, unrenewed self, which characterized your previous manner of life and becomes corrupt through lusts and desires that spring from delusion. And be constantly renewed in the spirit of your mind, having a fresh mental and spiritual attitude. Put on the new nature the regenerate self created in God's image that is God-like and true righteousness and holiness. Now, to strip off here or to take off means to take off or remove like taking off clothing. Okay, so you're going to go home tonight. You're not sleeping in these clothes you got off on. You're going to take them off, right? You're going to change into something different. That's what we have to do in our mind is we have to strip off what's not right and we have to take on what is right. The best way to change a narrative or a trigger in your life is through God's Word. It's through God's Word. Now, some of you have already done this. When you deal with lack in your life, the narrative that you begin to declare isn't, what are we going to do? You say, what? My God... Give me another one. The windows of heaven are open. I've never seen or a seed back. Okay, so see, what did you do? You changed the narrative. That didn't just happen because you were in a Holy Ghost meeting. That happened because you got in the Word. And you renewed, you laid off the old, what are we going to do for me? And you put on a new narrative right? All right, so when you get sick, when you deal with sickness now, 
you know, the flu's going around, and people are talking about how bad the flu is, and, you know, they'll say, uh, you know, even the news, they'll put on their, we're at the height of the flu season, you know, it's right now at its height, and everybody's getting it, and they'll say stuff like that, and, and you'll hear people at work saying, oh, man, you know, they had the flu, be careful what you touch around here, because so-and-so, you know, has contaminated the office, and, and they got the flu, and, and, and so if you don't have a better narrative than that, chances are you're going to get the flu. But watch what happens when you change the narrative. In your life, you say things like what? By his stripes, I'm healed, right? Yep, he bore my sickness, carried away my diseases. And most of us say, when the flu comes around, it can just pass me by because I am not getting the flu. Amen. It will not come nigh my dwelling. See, see what did you do? You changed the narrative. Now, I'm using that in these, but, but I don't know if that's what you deal with. Some of you deal with different stuff in fear. You know, you deal with, um, you know, if you've ever dealt with abandonment in your life, that's a terrible thing to deal with, to, be, to feel abandoned. I mean, it's horrible that you feel all alone and nobody is there. And there are things that will trigger that in your life that that abandonment will try to come back on you. And you'll begin to react the way you always react to it, with fear, flight, you know, whatever that you have normally reacted to it, unless you have helped, unless you have renewed your mind, put off that old, take that old clothing off and write a new narrative, put on the new clothing. Now, here's the really great good thing about all of this. You don't write your own narrative. You write the narrative that God has written for you. So we're not making up stuff. We're not in la-la land here. We're in the kingdom of God. And in the kingdom of God, the heavenly Father who loves us so much has written a narrative for our life. He doesn't look down at us and go, oh, yeah, you know, you see, there's, there's Josh. Oh, gosh, you know, look at him. I mean, he's, you know, he failed me. You know, let me tell you all the times Josh has let me down. I mean, he's let me down. Here's one, and he had a temper tantrum the other day, and he gave somebody the finger driving down the road, and he did this, and, you know, <coughs> I didn't say which finger. And, uh, oh, yeah. You know, when the Father, I mean, it's, which is what is so cool to me about, you know, we talk about righteousness, that when, when they brought, when someone came to the temple with their sacrifice, they never looked at the person that brought the sacrifice. They only looked at the sacrifice. You think about that. They never, they, they didn't just go, oh, you brought a lamb? Oh, well, let me look at you. Now, oh, well, I don't know if you're worthy to bring the, it didn't have anything to do. They didn't even say one thing about you. But, buddy, they inspected the lamb. Oh, yeah, let's see. Is there anything broke on it? Is there any blemishes on that lamb? Is there, you know, is this a healthy lamb? Is his eyes okay? Is everything all right? They inspected, and then they made the sacrifice. Well, friend, let me tell you something. When the Father looks at you, He looks at Jesus. He doesn't weigh you by you. He weighs you by Jesus. And He inspects that lamb over your life. He isn't looking. You just make sure you stay connected to Him. If you stay connected to Him, you're going to come out okay in all of this. But it's the minute that you somehow think you're the sacrifice. Look, you're not the sacrifice. You're not even worthy. You're not even worthy to be 
the knife that did the sacrifice. You're not worthy to do anything, okay? But he was worthy. Only one. I mean, if the, the, the call of heaven, you didn't hear. I mean, it's funny. When you read Revelation and they say, who is worthy? Peter didn't go, I am. Here I am. I'm, these people are righteous people, okay? But they said, no, no. There's only one that's worthy. We know who that is. That's the Lamb. Who's worthy to open the book and to take the seals? Nobody, you know, Paul didn't go, oh, that would be me because look at all the suffering I did. I mean, I went through a lot. I'm worthy to do that. No angel said, I'm worthy. All of heaven, when the words are shouted out, who is worthy? The lamb that took away the sins of the whole world is the only one that is worthy. So how do I get rid of the old? i got to strip it off. Now listen, some thoughts are more stubborn than others, right? Some are more stubborn. But I believe, truthfully, recognition is the beginning of freedom. It is. It's just, you know, when, when I begin to look at my life and say, you know what, this is behavior that is not right. I don't like feeling this way. I don't like hating people. You know, um, uh, I, I, don't like, I don't like prejudice in my life because we all deal with that in some extent. I mean, it gets in us. We think about things a certain way, uh, how we deal with women, how we deal with people of other uh, races. I mean, all that gets in how we deal with people that are in poverty. I mean, I have to watch because I grew up in poverty. So when I deal with people that are in poverty, I don't have a real good attitude about them. I had to repent before the Lord. Lord, you know what? I don't want to think like that. I mean, I, I, people need... Look, I was like that. I lived that way for a long, long time. And God, I, I, I need to be merciful like you're merciful. I need to be loving like you're loving. See, so some of these things don't move so quick. They don't get out of our lives. If you wrestle, you know, if you wrestle with pornography or sexual addiction or drug addiction or alcohol addiction, look, all those, or whatever, those things, food addiction, all those things in our life, we have to recognize I got a problem here. I'm not telling you you got to go to everybody else. You know, I'm not asking you to stand up tonight and say, hi, my name is, you know, Ken and I'm a foodaholic or anything like that, all right? But we have to recognize that I need to change the narrative. I got to change this story. But I don't change it into what I want the story to be. I change it into what the Father said. Stand up with me. Thank you. Not so much.